Please stand as you are able for a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find a body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to the sinners and be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we prepare for this morning's sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing that has ever happened, and it changes everything. Now, I know on the highest holy day of the Christian year, you're supposed to start the sermon with a story or a joke, but I don't know any way around it. The resurrection is the central event in all of human history. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we discover that death, which well could have been the most powerful force in the universe, is no match for love. Love is stronger than death. And if we believe in it, if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it changes our calculus about just about everything. It means that the things that we fear ultimately have no power over us because in the end we know that love wins. The resurrection means that the predisposition that many of us have for self-preservation is often an idle concern. It means that the time that we spend, the hours that we worry about our own safety, our own material well-being, this time is dwarfed in the ultimate sense by the goodness of God, by the promise that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. What wondrous love is this? What redeeming work love has done? What amazing love. 
and yet. Even as people who encounter this story every year, who seek to live it out, who try to model our lives after the example of Christ, we should admit that the resurrection does not always change us as much as it ought to change us. Easter is majestic. It is beautiful. But Easter gives way to ordinary time, to the mundane and the difficult, to the doctor's appointments and the medical bills and the arguments with your spouse and the dragging the kids out the door to church by their hair and pulling the dog out of the dishwasher again. And for those of us who have encountered the radical goodness of Jesus, who have experienced in resurrection a glimpse of what could be for those of us who've experienced this in our own lives who seek to submit ourselves to the work and will of God it can all feel a little bit like a disappointment when the brass finishes and we leave and we go home and things don't immediately turn around it can feel like a bit of a disappointment. But then, Luke's Gospel, Luke's story that we heard this morning, Luke's account of the resurrection actually begins with a disappointment. The women, five of them, maybe more, arrive at Jesus' tomb in order to anoint his dead body with spices, as was their custom. Only they discover, to their profound confusion and disappointment, that he is not there. That someone had rolled the stone away. That they had stolen his body. And that the women would not be able to do this one small final act of devotion for the one that they thought was to be their Savior. I got to think that really must have felt like the last straw. I really can't imagine, you know. You walk through the journey of Holy Week. You experience the horror of the crucifixion firsthand. You see it happen in front of your face. And you come to offer this one last gift and even this last small thing can't happen, adding literal insult to literal injury. I can't imagine. Can you? What it must have felt like in those uncertain days as the Savior that the disciples had been following was arrested and beaten and hung on a cross like a common criminal left to die as an enemy of the state. I mean, you give your life to something and you do it with a certain sense of expectancy. You expect that in the end, the thing that you give your life to will have been worth giving your life to. And of course, for those early disciples, ultimately it was. But for some time in those days between the crucifixion and the resurrection, those who were closest to Jesus 
must have had to do some real soul searching because in a very real sense, their hope was dead. And then, of course, the women realize what's going on. They run back and they tell the men. And the men don't believe them because I don't know if you heard me say this, but they were men. And all's well that ends well, I guess. But, but no, not really. Because this is one of those moments. One of those moments where you've got to stop. And reevaluate everything because of what you have seen. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing that has ever happened, and it changes everything. Now, I can't speak for those who saw the, resur- saw the crucifixion happen, those who ran to the empty tomb. I was not there. But it all makes me ask myself. Some pretty tough questions. It makes me look in the mirror a little bit, do a little bit of soul searching of my own, and consider just how it is that this thing that I've given my life to, the business of following Jesus through the church, which we learn in Scripture is the proper way to follow Jesus, how has the resurrection changed me? How does it change me on the regular? In other words, how am I different because of the resurrection of Jesus? How do I live differently? Now, there are some obvious ways. Once a week, I stand up in front of a bunch of people and I wear funny clothes and I proclaim the gospel. That's one way. I hope that I'm more generous because of the resurrection of Jesus. I try to serve my neighbor more because of Jesus. I try to be honest and fair and loving because of Jesus. But if I'm honest, can I be honest with you? Even as a professional religious person, I have to tell you that when I look in the mirror, I am not always happy with everything that I see. I suspect that I am not alone in this. I still have a ways to go in my devotion to Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that it is the most important thing ever to happen and that it changes everything. But I can't say that in every interaction that I have that I always act as if I believe that it is true. I can't say that I always act as if I believe that everything has changed. I try, but I don't always succeed. The truth is that the church hasn't always acted like we believe that everything has changed. We try, but we don't always succeed. I guess it's natural that with 2,000 years of human history, 2,000 years of distance between us and the resurrection of Jesus, that we've turned it into a nice story, something to be trotted out once a year, even something that helps us get through times of grief. So at a funeral, we say, oh, he's in a better place, she's in a better place. And it's true. But while that's true, it's not enough. Because the resurrection changes everything. 
Your eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It has already begun. And when you start thinking that way, things start to change. Your priorities start to change. Your life begins to change. The way you see the world begins to change. The things that Jesus held dear start to become the things that you want to hold dear. Caring for those who are marginalized. Loving your neighbor. Serving God and one another. You experience something like that and it changes everything. I remember the first time I laid eyes upon my first child. I didn't know what it was going to mean exactly, this life. But I knew that everything would be different from then on. It's happened to me, maybe it's happened to you, upon the experience of the loss of a loved one. There's a mystery in that, a difficult mystery. We ask questions like, what will come to pass? What will become of me? How will I be different? Because you know you will be, you just don't know how. Maybe for you, that moment was the loss of a relationship or a, a job or some sort of trauma that caused you to change the way that you see the world. This is the nature of life, that we sort of swim along, going on from one thing to the next to the next until something foundational happens. And it colors everything. It sort of tints the waters in which we swim. It's in light of these kinds of experiences that I imagine what it must have felt like for those first disciples. And the time between the crucifixion on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday. All of them, to a person, must have been walking around in a daze. We have the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight, but... There, they believed one thing to be true. They knew it to be true. They saw it happen, and then all of a sudden it just fell apart. As the cold, lifeless body of their Savior was pulled off the cross. It must have felt like too much. Just too much. And then on Sunday, when the women approached the tomb only to find that the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. And then two angels, or whatever they were, tell the women that Jesus has been raised and they run back to find the disciples. They do the kind of running that you do where if one of your sandals falls off, you don't even bother to stop and pick it back up and put it back on. They run and they tell the others. And that is the kind of faith that I long to have. The kind of faith the kind of experience that moves me so much, that excites me so much, that messes me up so much, that I'm so intent on living out that if a sandal falls off along the way, I don't even bother to stop and pick it up. This is the faith that I long to have. I have experienced moments like this you probably have two. Only they fade after a while. They don't go away, but they fade. They go from right in front of your face to your peripheral vision. And there are things that are good about this dynamic. 
While he was in residency at Emory University, someone asked the Dalai Lama how he understood grief. And he said, grief is this. And he put his hands in front of his eyes. He said, when you experience loss, grief is the only thing that you can see. He said, with time, it moves down so that it is never gone, but you can see around it eventually. It is good to see around grief, but it is a problem when we let the same thing happen to our faith, to the experiences we have of the love and goodness of God. It's only natural, I suppose, but it's a problem. That initial something or other that you feel when you come to faith, or are baptized or confirmed, or when you walk in the doors of the church and are surprised that you find home in church of all places. It's the feeling that John Wesley called a strange warming of the heart. And if you're not careful, it may start as a blaze before warming to a simmer. And one day you walk in and realize that the gas has been off for some years. All of this makes me deeply grateful that every year we pause. Every Sunday we pause to remember. To remember what has taken place. It's the kind of memory that reminds me of the times that God has shown up in my own life. That reminds me when I'm struggling that as I look back over the course of my life, I can see one of the profound mysteries of the life of faith, which is that God is at work even when it doesn't feel like God is at work. I've seen it again and again in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of others. We come to a place that should be the end of the line, and yet by God's grace, we get saved. Not once, but again and again. By the grace of God. The poet Robert, Robert Frost writes, In three words, I can summarize everything that I've learned about life. It goes on. That's been my experience. That's not to say that I never suffer, that I never grieve, that the life of faith is free from pain. If that's what you're looking for, I got some bad news for you. The writer and researcher Brené Brown says, I went to church thinking it would be an epidural, that it would take the pain away. But church isn't like an epidural. It's like a midwife. She says, I thought Faith would say, I'll take the pain and the discomfort away. But what it ended up saying was, I will sit with you in it. Friends, if you are here today feeling pain in your own life, you've likewise found yourself in a room full of people who also feel that pain and have decided to sit with one another in it. It's a remarkable gift, that kind of intimacy.
and solidarity. You find yourself in a room full of people who've decided to sit together in it. You found yourself in the presence of a God who does not stand above pain and suffering, but who has experienced it, who on the cross died our death, but who pushed beyond it so that nothing, nothing, no pain that you feel, nothing that you have done, no scars that you carry with you, nothing can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ. Nothing and nobody are too far gone for God. This is the message of the resurrection. Nothing can keep us from the powerful love of God as made manifest in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, who came as the purest expression of God's love, whose friends were sinners, who ate with those that society cast out, who commands us to do the same thing. Nothing, not even death, will keep us from the love of God, for God's love never ends. The resurrection is the most important thing that has ever happened, and it changes everything. And not for nothing, but it didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. The resurrection happens again And again and again, every time you open your heart to the idea that God is not yet finished, that maybe God's not done with you, that even at death, even at the moment of death, God is not finished with us. Every time you open your heart in that way, the resurrection happens again. Easter happens again. This morning, we remember a remarkable day that happened 2,000 years ago. But the truth is that Easter continues. God is not yet finished. And this is the greatest news that I know. Thanks be to God. Amen.